Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Dessert before dinner is fine. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You'd have to be crazy to do that. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I long for gift-free Christmas. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I don't know what you're going to eat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about which parenting rules we can break. Yeah. I mean, I broke a lot of them, Amy. I don't know about you. All of them. (laughs) I think like, yeah, you think like, okay, I obeyed every single one. I'm keeper of the rule book and I obeyed them all. And you don't think that I know there's one that I broke that you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if you should have done that. But I did, though. My kid's still here. Yeah. And I think it's important to distinguish as we begin this conversation, like, There are parenting rules, like don't cuddle your baby too much because they'll get spoiled, which are totally from left field and insane. Yes. I mean, that's a parenting rule to some people. And then there are parenting rules, like how your baby should sleep on their back. And those are in different categories, right? Some, I think- We were just talking about this in another episode about comparing kids. I think that rules that come from your pediatrician or the American Association of Pediatrics have different weight than the rule that comes from like the drive-by from your mother-in-law as she passes through. Like that baby needs a hat, it's cold. Yes. Although even some of those can be like the idea that your kids should have zero screens before two is when you actually look into it, it's like we like maybe an hour is okay, but we don't want to tell people an hour because then they'll take two hours. If we give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So therefore none. So therefore no screens. And then some people can over apply that to be like, it's the pandemic, but we can't FaceTime with grandma because the American Association of Pediatrics says screens are bad before too, right? Screens are somehow, yes. Good point. Very good point. So we'll be trying to calibrate a little bit as we go through, like, there's actually a reason for this. Yes. Or the parenting rule that is like, you know, just completely bonkers, we can 100% dismiss. Yes. Okay. Let's do it, Amy. Let's start with pacifiers. Let's start with the parenting rule that I broke, which is the pacifier. Okay. Jennifer is with me. Jennifer is one of our listeners. She had her child use a pacifier until three and a half when she threw them out on her own. We didn't even get to on 
our own. My son was a huge pacifier user, my first kid. I had a right around like rounding the corner one and a half into two, which is when you would be getting rid of it, maybe, is right when the little brother arrived. And this kid was just like, leave him alone, right? Let him have his pacifier. We had such a backslide when number two was born. Like the pacifier was out of the crib. The pacifier was like on the couch watching TV, you know, whatever, whatever this kid needed. And so he was very attached to this pacifier. So we put rules around it, rules around it. His pediatrician, like you're supposed to get rid of the pacifier and his teeth were getting crazy. Like his teeth were getting like horizontal, like his front teeth. Right. That's why I think they want you to get rid of the pacifier because it starts to affect the teeth growth. Yes. Although she was like, so we need to get rid of it. They'll go back. And I will say that from the other side, like, yeah, he had crazy teeth, (laughs) which are funny when you look at old pictures, but they resolved within a few months. And of course, they're baby teeth anyway. The way we got rid of the pacifier, it was his third birthday. And we were sort of heading into it like with a lot of dread. And I had been saying, you know, when you're three, you have big boy teeth that are now at right angles pointing out of the front of your, they're cutting your lip. We need to get rid of this pacifier. Your big boy teeth are going to mean that when on your third birthday, you're not going to be able to use a pacifier anymore. And on his third birthday, I cut the tip off the pacifier. So, you know, it had like a hole in it and I gave it to him at bedtime. And my husband and I had this whole plan, like, I'll sleep with them the first night. You sleep with them the second night. This is going to be two weeks of caterwauling, you know. Nice use of the word caterwauling, Amy. Thank you. (laughs) He put it in his mouth and he said, just one broken. And I said, it's happened. This is it. It, Just as the sage said, it's your third birthday. (laughs) The lady. And your big boy teeth. The lady said this would happen. Your pacifier doesn't work anymore. And he handed it back and said, I don't want it. And went to bed the end. It was never, he didn't cry. Wow. He gave them to Santa in a bag a couple weeks later to give to the babies. And that was the end of it. So pacifiers is one where like, I think, yeah, you can let your kid, you can have a huge fight about it, or you can let them keep it until they really are kind of too old for it. And then it's exceedingly easy. Yeah. And, and it's also the kind of thing of like, my kids were pacifier nuts when they were little. I mean, they looked like they had a substance abuse problem. Like they, I would put it in their mouth and they're like, <laughs> like their relationship with the pacifier, I found worrisome in terms of like how attached to it they were. In your family of origin, were you pacifier or thumb suckers? Like what did you do when you were little? What did your mom do? Oh, I have no idea. Whenever I ask my mom things like this, she's like, I don't remember. <laughs> she's, blocked, she's like, I blocked it all out. I don't know. I'm sure. I mean, my mother gave no thought to this and you know, who knows? And hats off, right. And I don't think they're, I mean, pacifier technology has come a long way, too. I mean, I also had kids where there were, if there are seven different kinds of pacifiers, there was only one my kids would take, like, right? For sure. Not available at the drugstore near your mother-in-law's house either. No, mine needed the one that had like, it had a bulb that kind of turned up like under your soft palate. That was the kind that my kids liked. But forget the other kinds. Useless. Useless. And so we would have like six or seven scattered around everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I did have a kid who I thought was off the pacifier. And at some point, was old enough to crawl into baby's crib. And I found him in there, like taking a hit off of a pacifier at some <laughs> point. Like he's like, oh, I miss these days. <laughs> but we also had my sister when she was young, my aunt lived with us in a little like garage apartment kind of thing. 
she heard my mom at some point being like, oh, Anne hasn't taken a bottle since she was one and she was like almost 19 months or whatever. And my aunt had been giving her a bottle every single morning. Like <laughs> she would come to my aunt's apartment and get a bottle. <laughs> and she was like, oh, good news. But like she had not gotten the memo that bottles were out, you know? I remember being scared of this with bottles that, again, I had one every 18 months. So I had like a, you know, a two-year-old and a four-month-old. And it's hard to phase out bottles when like, well, why does she have a bottle still, right? No, I'm the baby. Yeah. I, it's all, again, for me, like my mother before me, it's a bit of a blur in terms of like, how exactly did it work? But I, I definitely think we were not hard and fast on getting rid of bottles. That's for sure. I'll tell you the parenting rule that I broke that I'm not sure I should have broken. This was with my second kid. He couldn't have cared less about pacifiers, but he did love a bottle, mm. you know, just, he just nursed it like a fine scotch. He just wanted to kind of have it and have it around, you know, so he had it. Yeah. I tell you, when I looked at kids laying back and having a bottle, I was like, why don't we go back yeah. to this? Like every once in a while, laying on the couch watching Netflix, like a warm liquid meal. Wow. It sounds good. Yeah. And then you kind of drift off to sleep with it still in your mouth. I'm for it. So I would let him because I had kids like in their nap schedules didn't always line up. You, you know, that is. And this kid was the most easygoing baby. But I would put him in his crib with a bottle. And I was like, whatever, it's probably fine. Like, you know, our parents did it, whatever. And he did have like six cavities in his teeny tiny two and a half year old baby teeth that probably came from letting him have a bottle in the crib. I have definitely, I mean, again, this is not one of those rules of like, everyone's so uptight. Why don't they just let it go? Like I've definitely seen, especially if you're putting juice or sweet things in the bottle, like the, the problem is it rots out those baby teeth real fast. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that was a parenting rule I should not have broken, but I did. Like I said, he's here. He's He has teeth. <laughs> yes, he has teeth now. Exactly. You get another chance because those all fall out and you get another shot at it. That's what I was telling myself. Like, these aren't sticking around. So I'm just saying, don't let him go to college with a bottle full of juice and he'll be fine. And juice. I mean, gosh, my kids, I mean, I have big kids, as you guys know. I give them watered down juice in their sippy cup. Now you like you'd have to be crazy to do that. I feel like that's the messaging now. Really? People are anti-juice? No juice. No juice. Where have you been? Yeah, no, it's water, water, water. The kids don't, you don't put apple juice or white grape juice in their sippy cup. It's uh, water only. I don't know. That seems... That's a parenting rule you could break, but... I missed... I didn't even hear that parenting rule, so I definitely didn't obey it. It's like the no screens. Yeah, no juice. Like, juice is the devil. Like, mm, okay. Amy, let's talk a little bit about sleep routines. This is somewhere I feel like you and I flipped the script. Okay. I was an extremely strict sleep routine person, and I feel like you were more malleable on sleep routines. Oh, it's just more that my attempts to impose sleep routines worked yeah. zero. Didn't work at all. Yeah. I think now I do think sleep routines, this is, let me go back to one of my favorite pieces of advice, not for my pediatrician, but for my brother's mother-in-law, who's a pediatrician. Everything has to work for the kid and for you. We think of so many parenting rules as like, this is how to keep your kid happy. This is how to do it for your kid. And this is what will make your kid thrive. If it doesn't work for you and your kid, skip it because, and this is where for me, the one thing that I feared the most, two things I feared the most, gross food and lack of sleep. There's nothing you can really do about gross food. I mean, kids like spitting food in your hands and there being like ketchup on things. Oh, oh, I was like, explain gross food. Okay. The gross food things that toddlers bring you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was terrified of that and rightfully and like moldy backpacks full of blah, ugh, horrible, but- 
I was correct on that. Not a lot you can do about it. But the other thing I was, I really had like some terror around lack of sleep because I don't do well on lack of sleep and I knew it would be a problem if I didn't get enough sleep. And so I was extremely militant about sleep schedules and I had good luck with that. But lots of people, Elizabeth says, infant didn't sleep in the crib. Emily co-slept. Another Emily says, I rock my almost two-year-old son to sleep every night. And when he wakes, I bring him into our bed. I definitely think that this is an arena where, you, especially with sleep, whatever gets you to sleep that your pediatrician says is safe, I'm fine with it. You know, here's a parenting rule that I broke. Not really a rule, but it's just a way people do it that did not work for me. And I didn't do it this way and it worked fine. Having the baby, like the newborn baby, like, you know, like a week old, just from the home from the hospital should be like in the room with you right next to you, not in your bed, but in these, you can buy these specific. It's a three-sided bassinet so that it's. My, I needed my newborn that I was nursing, you know, four to six times a night, like down the hall <laughs> behind a closed door with my bedroom door closed so that I would only hear the baby the second time they rolled over, not the first time. I'm such a light sleeper that for me getting in 40 minutes sleep at a time was contingent upon me not being right next to the baby while they were sleeping. I wouldn't have been able to sleep at all. I still heard the baby. That also worked for me. I did the first probably eight weeks or something with the baby in the co-sleeper bassinet right by the bed. And I still, I would, I mean, the baby is sleeping right to your side. And so I could almost do it while I was sleeping, like pick the baby up, nurse. And then for years afterwards, I would wake up in the night, like I dropped the baby, I dropped the baby and the baby was five years old. But <laughs> I constantly had that of like, it was the whole night was sort of a blur of like breastfeeding and then putting the baby down. And I would wake up in a start, like, where's the baby? And it, it would be in its, you know, co-sleeper bassinet. But oh my God, it took me a long time to recover from that. Mm -mm. Yeah, those were rough. I admire the people who like they rock the baby to sleep. Like that's sweet. I definitely a rule that I was militant about was I would put my baby Drowsy down. Drowsy but awake. Sleepy but not asleep. Exactly. Yeah. Drowsy but awake. And that worked for me. But again, that was really for me. That wasn't like for the good of your baby. No juice. It was for the good of you, mom. Sleepy, but not asleep. And this is another area where back to one works really well, too, that like if sleep is getting out of control, you can reset to whatever your best practice is. But there are times still where I just always emphasize like whatever gets everyone in the house the most sleep is what I'm the most interested in. Mm. And for me, having a baby, we also have a... um what do you, a queen bed. Like we don't have, you know, I think in a California king, it's like, all right, take it all comers, like everybody in, you know? I think we maybe had a full one. We, is a full, like a double bed? Yeah, like a barely double bed, yeah. I mean, there was definitely not enough room for both of us. And then if you added a kid, nobody slept at all. And so we were, you know, we made adjustments. And still now we have a mattress under our bed. So still- if somebody comes down, if there's a lightning storm or something, they pull the mattress out from under our bed and they could sleep on the floor, but nobody gets in the bed. Yeah. And that's just my preference. My sleep is the top of the mountain for me. Like nothing messes with it. That's so funny. Our dog, she will go on like any of our kids' beds, but she will never go on my bed. And so if I'm like lying down and she comes looking for me, she just hope springs eternal. She's like, this is the day, this nine-year-old dog that like today's the day I'm going to get on mom and dad's bed. Nope. No. Keep wishing, Marshmallow. When we were talking about the reasons I don't want a dog, I said, well, the only, we're not getting a dog, but I said, <laughs> the biggest thing for me is I never want a dog in my bed. 
And my husband was sort of like, well, then what's the point of having a dog? And I'm like, exactly. We're not getting a dog. Exactly. Deal. Then it's decided. Our cat does sleep on our bed, but sleeps on my husband's feet on his side of the bed over the covers. I'm fine with it. I'll allow it. Amy, let's come back with even more parenting rules that we're fine with breaking. Okay, let's do it. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew, and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies, and as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. Let's talk about food, Amy, because you were talking about juice. Megan lets her kids have soda one time a day. I'm fine with it. The messaging around soda, like it's not coming from me. More than once, I've been at a restaurant with my kids and they're like, uh, the Diet Coke, and they try to give it to one of my kids and the spray. I'm like, no, that's mine. My kids have water. My three teenagers would never drink soda. And it is not something I've put on them. They've clearly heard this like in health class or something. No soda ever, ever. They only drink water. I have three kids, only one likes soda, but he likes a Coke and he has one. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes a Coke it just, it hits the spot like nothing. I love that there's Coke because when you're pregnant and you're at a wedding or something, I would let myself have as many Cokes as I wanted. Yeah. Speaking of parenting rules you can break, you can have a bunch of Cokes at a wedding when you're pregnant. That's the role that soda has for us. And I am a total hypocrite because I'm a Diet Coke addict and I drink like nine a day sometimes. And I'm like, only one <laughs> soda for you, my dear. But that's the fun. It's like, one soda a day, unless you're like at a wedding or some sort of party. He had a sleepover the other day. He's like, he came home and he's like, mom, I feel real weird. 
I think I had like six Cokes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's going to make you feel pretty weird. And yeah, I don't know. I think I'm kind of team like food is basically neutral. Maybe I'm making a mistake. But food is basically neutral. Yeah. But you have to put limits on certain kinds of food. But otherwise, like food has no value beyond like more fruits and vegetables, protein, and then everything else have a little bit of it when you really feel like it. Amy Severson, I'm going to do a shout out to the interview that I did with her a couple of weeks back. I'll put the link in the show notes about intuitive eating. I didn't really understand what intuitive eating was until this interview. And that's just what it was. Like, you can have an Oreo if you want. It's not that exciting. I mean, it's neutral. It's not bad or good. It's have it if you feel like it. And that's sort of a a real mind shift for me compared to the messaging that we get that we need to eat the rainbow. And like, we should eat the rainbow, but it's just just coming at it more like teach your kids to eat food that makes them feel good if they want to. It's really hands off. That is its own reward. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And like, listen, when you had six Cokes, you went nuts. Like that didn't work out great. Like, okay, so maybe one Coke is better than six. And again, mommy missed that lesson. And so sorry, this is a lesson only for you. Seema says she doesn't make her kid eat vegetables or what they're eating. I ask her to try things, but if she doesn't like them, fine. I'll make her more kid-friendly food. I am this team too. My kids eat. I will say I have a goal The one thing I do try to do, and now that my kids are older, I don't know. I feel like of all the things in parenting, I feel like I missed the boat a little bit on food. I think I probably passed some bad food habits onto my kids. But I do try to include my kids in family meals that are non-negotiable, where like you come to the table and you have a choice of what you can eat. I do insist that they eat a little bit of vegetables because otherwise they wouldn't. But I think I messed that up. I think I should have presented it all from the very beginning as like, it's food and let them discover what they liked and what they didn't like. I have a kid with some food sensitivities who I think that if I just totally let the reins go, he would eat pizza and bagels with cream cheese and more pizza for the rest of his life. Like, yeah. And I do... We've started, now my kids are 13, 12, and 10. And glimpse from the future, we just went out the other day. I was taking them bowling. But beforehand, we went to a restaurant that my husband and I really liked. And they don't have a kid's menu. And my kids all found something they wanted to eat on the menu. And the pizza was weird (laughs) for my son. Did it have like basil on it? And was it fresh mozzarella? No, it had rather than like shredded cheese, it had the like fancy like um, circles. Yeah. And they were sliding off. And he was like, why would you do this? What kind of monster? You know, like sliding discs (laughs) of cheese. Why? It worked so well the other way. Yes. And so he expressed some vague displeasure about like, oh, this pizza is not He's He said, because we were working on our manners. He was like, this pizza is not the best I've ever had. And I was like, that's fine. You can express that. But I do like the idea of being able to just stop at a restaurant. We're going to try to travel this summer with our kids. And like, I don't want to be like, where's the nearest McDonald's? And like, how can we keep chicken nuggets in these guys all the time? But so I, I think it's important to introduce like family meal and like you eat what you're served or you have nothing. But then the problem is now my kids are old enough. We stayed at a hotel two nights ago. They ate fine because we got a pizza or whatever. But then they're like, we're going to go downstairs. And they come back up with like hostess cupcakes, you know? And it's like, that's dinner if they skip a good meal, you know? 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. This one eludes me a little bit. I'm with you that I'm going to give a shout out to my own episode. I didn't ask Amy about comparison and envy. <laughs> a shout out to oneself, Amy. I said, no, it was in doing this research about helping kids deal with comparison and envy. The listener had really the right frame of mind that like the teacher was maybe leaning in a little bit too much to like, let's applaud the student of the week kind of thing. Like, should there be a little less of that perhaps in 2022? Probably, yes. However, this mom's instinct was not like, I'm going to burn down the school because my kid wasn't student of the week, but more like, okay, this exists. How do I help my kid deal with it? And similarly, it seems to me, if you have a kid who's a picky eater, as I had, you don't want to so smooth the path for them that it's consequence free. Like you do want your kid to sometimes have to go to a restaurant where like, I don't know where you're going to eat the bread basket, I guess. You know, we can ask the waiter if they'll bring more bread or you can, I can help you find something here. But, you know, let the discomfort of being somebody who eats three foods come to meet them once in a while. And we've talked about as well, and I have this with one of my kids, the discomfort, it's one of the many things that sometimes I think we define as like, this child is getting in my way. This child is making our fun family meals difficult. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I have had to reframe a little bit. I was like, this child has a lot of anxiety around food and we have to be helpful with that too, you know? So like before we go out, sometimes I'll say, listen, or we're going to a friend's place for dinner. I don't know what they're serving. If it is not for you, put it on your plate, pretend to take a couple bites. We'll find you something else when we get home. Like I don't want his whole night to be terrifying anxiousness and be and then what will happen is like I'm just going to stay home next time because I don't want to be in that situation again like I think you can meet your kids halfway on a lot of this stuff yeah Jessica says her son has unlimited screen time and eats a separate dinner the pandemic definitely motivated some of this but I learned to be not so tightly wound honestly and I think she says we're all happier healthier and thriving (laughs) I think that This is another interesting point of like letting go of our own set points around certain things where like a happy, successful family looks like five of us holding hands and saying grace and then sitting down at the table and talking through our day in a magical way. And I look back when my kids were whatever, five, four, and two or whatever at those meals where I kept thinking, family dinner is the most important part of the day. And I was trying to enforce that family dinner, like Norman Rockwell, we're all sitting around. And of course, like the two-year-old was throwing food at the five-year-old who was literally screaming and crying because the food was gross, you know? And my husband and I were like, how was your day? And I was so busy trying to impose this vision of what that looked like. And I will say, I think some of it laid the groundwork for what we now have, which is her fairly successful, regular family dinner. But I do want to go back and kick that version of myself that was like, we're having family dinner, even though I'm sitting with three, like, barely sentient maniacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a not yet thing. It's a plan C. Not yet. That's what I missed. To go back to the collaborative problem solving. This is a plan C. Or as we all learned during the pandemic, not every night, right? We The yo-yo dinner, which means you're on your own dinner, which came into play out of desperation, right? Like, I don't know what's for dinner. I can't do it every night. And the idea that we all were only seeing each other, <laughs> we're stuck inside all the time, and we have to sit down and have a nice dinner. I mean, the amount of... Right. And what are you going to talk about? Like, how was your breathing today? Yeah. Like... Well, we would get in arguments. Yeah. Like, we would talk about politics with my big kids, and somebody would end up crying every night or yelling or whatever. And, and yes, you don't have to have 
family dinner, holding hands, important conversations every night. If you can do it once in a while, if you can do it every Sunday, whatever it is, it's a nice thing to have, but trying to enforce it as something every night and it will be magical on four and two-year-old. Yeah, it's okay to let that be a rule that you break. Marcella says dessert before dinner is fine. Also, ice cream and popsicles in the bathtub is fine. Marcella's house is just a party. I love it. (laughs) Popsicles in the bathtub. My sister-in-law introduced us to the world's greatest invention, which is ice cream dinner. It's a summertime activity. Like you've been at the pool all day. You've already been like eating chicken nuggets at four o'clock. It's ice cream dinner. You stop at the way home at the ice cream shop. Everyone gets an ice cream and that's dinner. And I think that for kids, there is something so joyful about, I do think you need both. I think kids look to their parents for like boundaries and boxes and rules. And like, I think kids love to feel like they're wrapped up tight in like rules and the blanketing of structure. Mm -hmm. But I also think that once you have that in place, kids absolutely delight in the occasional like it's ice cream for dinner it's pancakes for dinner you know it's opposite day we're having lasagna for breakfast whatever it is well even like saying it's yo-yo dinner i mean putting that on the whiteboard and having it be like tonight's yo-yo dinner and the kids are thinking about and preparing for it the kids are still being held within the structure of like there's yo-yo dinner i know what will happen tonight i get to decide for myself instead of it's 7.30 and nobody's mentioned if they're going to feed me tonight or not. We're not saying that, right? There's still a structure around it. Ice cream dinner is exciting because your parents are breaking the rule that they usually have in place. It's what makes it fun. Amy, let's talk a little bit about toys and play. I love some of these. Katie says, my son is allowed to play with sticks and throw rocks. Not at people, though. It gives him so much joy. Oh, that's a you- good one should listen to the episode with uh, my sister-in-law, Christina Martin, on uh, how kids learn through play. She runs a progressive school in Chicago, and their playground is just like a pile of sticks and rocks. Like It's like, go out and create. And yes, you're not allowed to throw rocks at people's faces, but I do think, and I talk a lot about the scouts with this, which I like a lot. Like, yes, kids should play with found objects like that's a great way for children to play and the idea of like Mm. don't play with that stick come play with this house that is a mini house that's built for you to pretend no i love playing with found objects it's super important for kids april says hoverboard skate and ride bike in the house my mom let me do it too hoverboards didn't exist back then though (laughs) I don't know exactly how you ride a bike in the house. The hoverboard is that sort of like wobbly skateboard thing. Is that what a hoverboard is? It's like a skateboard, but it has a motor. So like you glide along on, like you don't. You must have a big house. Yeah. And riding bikes in the house. (laughs) That's what I can't really picture. Do you live at Downton Abbey? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Versailles. Wow. I mean, I guess that's a parenting rule that I've held the line on. We don't even own overboards. I mean, well, you live in a New York City apartment. There's not a lot of bike riding going on in your place. No. But we're for it. If it works for you, April, we love it. Yeah, yeah. We're not saying you shouldn't. That's right. Nata says, I don't make my kids three and five spend time outdoors if they don't feel like it. 
I have enough cajoling to do when it comes to morning routines, mealtimes, and bedtime routines. Mm, I've been this at times because I live in the city. And so when my kids were little to go to the, I mean, it's so great in a way, like you go to the playground and talk about like open-ended play. There's like 50 kids there, like go make a world, go say you're a pirate and see what happens. And sure, here's a stick. But I had to take them, put them in the stroller and walk for five or 10 minutes and then stand there. I couldn't, you know, let them outside and keep an eye on them through the kitchen window. Yeah. So a lot of times we stay home. Yeah, we do a lot of, but we live in the suburbs, much more country-like. Like I do a lot of like, I'll bring my book outside. And then when they call to me, I'm like, I'm outside. Like I try to lure them. I try to trap them into going outside, but I do do a lot of screaming. Of, oh, I like and I sometimes put on the whiteboard. Like I do like an hour outside every day, especially when it's nice outside. I mean, mm-hmm. and also when we live in New York and I do feel like this winters are so hard that by spring it's like everybody go outside. Like we've already, we've been trapped inside. So there's such a motivation. I think if you lived in a place like Florida or something where it's warm all the time, you might get tired, even in LA, you know, it's like, okay, you don't have to be outside every day because it's always nice. But I feel like when you live with the seasons, when it gets warm out, you're like spend time outside while you can gather ye rosebuds while you may. Yeah. Yeah. We also have Terrilyn, who lets her kids run, jump, skip, and race in the house. Heidi, she has a good floor plan for it. And I mean, we did used to have, I had a, we had a house for a while that had a staircase that came up from the basement in the middle. So it was a circle around. And definitely we had a lot of places in the house I grew up in where you could go in circles, probably not on a tricycle, but like we did chase each other around circles a ton. Yeah. Or the big wheel around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in The Shining, the kid rides the big wheel around the huge... See, lives in a hotel, though. That's where I can see riding a bike inside if you actually live at the Overlook Hotel. There are other problems with living at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, I'm all for letting kids roughhouse inside as long as you don't have breakable... We have one place where we have all of our glassware and like my wedding presents and stuff. And my kids know, like get near that at your own peril. Cause I don't, I mean, they could destroy everything I own in 30 seconds with a mistimed, you know, ball throw or crash of a, you know, race game, but they know to stay away from that. And otherwise it's a free for all. I'm fine with it. Okay. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with even more parenting rules. We might be able to break. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It 
adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. And now, your guide to lesser-known parenting styles. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Sure, you've heard of helicopter moms, tiger moms, and attachment parents, but do you know about these lesser-known parenting styles? Meerkat parent. Pops head out every once in a while to check on kids and environment before popping right back down into Heidi Hole, where Bridgerton Season 2 is on. Wet cat parent. Permanently near red on the grouchy scale, approach this parent with care, if at all. If there is hissing, retreat. Five-star general parent. We're going to need shoes lined up by the door at 0800-SHARP-PEOPLE, and those beds better be made with hospital corners. Now, everyone, forward march to the minivan. Orangutan parent. Loving, cuddly, playful, but not above dragging you out by the feet when it's time to go. Octopus parent. Able to somehow cook dinner while soothing the baby and talking on the phone to make arrangements for this summer's ballet camp. And someone needs a permission slip signed? No problem. The octopus parent has it covered. This has been Lesser Known Parenting Styles from the What Fresh Hell podcast. So I love this one, Margaret. Altera wrote in to say that she loves bribes as a parenting Mm. rule that she breaks. She says, I'm shocked by the level that I'm into bribes, but they work extremely well on my kid. And she's more independent because of them. I don't pull them out for one-off things, but I use them for consistent daily routines so they're predictable and don't get too out of hand. And now my kid is really independent with her routines. This almost sounds like an allowance. If she's, it's not really bribing her. If it's like, if you get dressed on time every day, popsicles in the bathtub. I mean, if you give her two bucks for getting ready for school on time every morning, is that a bribe? It's good parenting, I say. I'm also pro bribes. Mm -hmm. And I think that as long as the bribe, I think what it sounds like from what Altera is saying is that it's having results and leading to independence. I don't think you want the bribes to be a one-to-one for the kid's whole life. Like, if you get an A, I will give you $20 for every A you get for the rest of your life, including when you're in college, right? You don't want your kid calling home from college and being like, I got an A, send me 20 bucks. But I do think that some level of bribery is fine. Emily says that she listened to a series of Freakonomics episodes about parenting and a change your view on bribes because I guess they argued, Emily says, they argued that basically bribing your kid to do lawn work is no different than paying a lawn guy to come and do it or tipping a maitre d' for a good table, et cetera. We grease palms all the time. I mean, <laughs> I wonder if the Freakonomics 
hosts have raised kids with expectations of palms being greased for A's on tests. I don't know. Like, do you set that expectation? I I mean, it's definitely one of those things that, like, we constantly use, like, carrot and stick at some point, right? Like, if you are good during grandma's funeral, we will go for ice cream afterwards. Mm. But I don't want to hear a peep about it. And then, like, if you do not, you know, behave during this, you will have no screen time later or whatever. I think in general, when those things become the only way you're parenting, you're going to have some problems. But I think as a tool in your toolbox, I'm all for it. You know, sometimes like the surprise ice cream is such a good thing too. And it doesn't matter how old they get. I just was with my husband and our high school are looking at colleges. It's time to look at colleges, which is fraught. Like sometimes it's raining and you're on this like death march through the quad. And and it's just fraught because you're like trying to get into college, which is fraught. Yeah. And your kid's like, I don't like this. I don't, don't want to go here. Just whatever. It's, you know, fraught. there's a lot going on. It's fraught. And we're all kind of sniping at each other. And anyway, we're walking back to the car. And my husband said, hey, how about some ice cream? And my kid became a kindergartner again, like so excited. Can we? Yes. And we went and got waffle cones. Can I get the waffle cone? Yes. It just was a sort of reward for having gotten through a fraught day of looking at colleges that, you know, he may or may not be able to get into. Anyway, surprise ice cream is a great tool to have in your arsenal. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier of like, tight boundaries, and then unexpected surprises, you know? And I think there's something very lovely about that. Like, sure, go ahead. And my kids are always like, what? My kids always come to me. I want to ask you something, but I know you're going to say no. I'm trying to break them of the habit because I find it extremely annoying. I find it an annoying approach, you know? Oh, okay. I think so. You find it endearing. Uh-huh. I'm like, can we drop that? Like, it just fine. It feels manipulative and annoying to me. But it's funny to me what they think is in that category, you know? Because sometimes it's like... Which is like, can we have ice cream? Yeah, well, sometimes it's like, can I have $25 to buy some stupid hat for my, you know, avatar in some dopey game I'm playing? It's a solid no. But then sometimes it's like, can we stop for ice cream on the way home from something? And I'm like, of course we can. You know, it's funny that I think they see me as a total no factory sometimes, but... There are worse things to be seen as a parent. You're a benevolent ruler. I'm a benevolent dictator, let's be honest. That's right. Let's talk about holidays. Aileen says, I love the name Aileen, by the way. I have a cousin Aileen. We don't do Christmas. We fly to some destination over the Christmas and New Year's holidays with the kids and don't do presents. I so aspire to this. My sister-in-law and brother have moved to this that like they travel, but they don't do presents. And then I have cousins who've done this forever. They take a big trip. How old were the kids when you make this transition? (sighs) I think like high school-ish, but my cousins have done it since their kids were little. And I long for gift-free Christmas. I have become a person who so loves Thanksgiving because it doesn't involve the great crap exchange that is Christmas. And oh my gosh! But I will say, to be fair, I loved Christmas as a kid. I loved presents. It's so exciting. I have a friend who's from the north of Spain, from Bilbao, which is actually in the Basque region. So her kids, we were just talking about this. So her kids growing up got presents from the parents They got presents from Santa because they're raising their kids in America, but they would go home to Spain for Christmas and they would also get presents from Olancero, which in the Basque region is a cranky coal miner who rides around town on a donkey and he also brings (laughs) presents to the kids. And then there's like the three kings. So like 
just too many, you know, too many presence options coming in for these kids. These are lucky kids. If there's any kids listening, can you imagine Santa and Olin Sarah both bringing your presents? Well, this is what my husband and I joke. Like, we cannot handle this degree of exponential gifting. At a certain point, it's going to break, right? Like, what is that expression? This level of growth cannot be sustained. <laughs> like, as we keep making more humans, all the humans that came before are now giving gifts to our humans. And... You know, I just, at some point you do the math and it's like 36 people exchanging presents and they're all, they, everybody likes to buy for their kids, right? Like, oh, for the little ones. And I'm constantly the, what do you call it? The grouch. I'm the angry coal miner running through town, but I steal the presents. I'm the Grinch. I'm not giving the presents. Oh, you're the Grinch, the benevolent Grinch. <laughs> I'm the non-benevolent. I'm the grouchy Grinch. Aileen, I think I'm going to try to get this because Aileen says it's a tropical destination that she goes to. Like, it's not grandpa's house. It's like tropical and no presents. I'm going to see if I can sell that. You say this all the time, and I think it's a good point. Like, Anything that falls away at the holidays, leave behind. Yes. Let the laws of holiday attrition work in your favor, I believe, is how we put it. Correct. So, like, if during COVID you stopped blah, 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 like, don't bring it back in, you know? My kids this year were like, why don't we have an elf? And I'm like, get out of my faces. We're <laughs> never doing the elf. Like, how dare you? How very dare you, you suggest come. that an elf is going to come into the equation at this point? And my kids are like tweens. And I was like, an elf? Are you insane? Like, I'm going to get up and put powdered sugar tracks of the elf around the kitchen? Uh, no, I will not be doing that. <laughs> but yeah, I wrestle with this one because I, as an adult, cannot stand the crap exchange. But as a child, man, I know how much I loved the presents, the big pile of presents. It was so thrilling. But then you watch the kids do it and it's like, it's totally God-shaped hole. Like they open it and there's always someone crying and disappointed. Like you cannot scratch the itch of how magical that pile of presents is going to be. And so... Oh, I would so much rather be like, we're going on vacation and we're going to enjoy each other's company. But I think my kids would veto that hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, a rule you can be like, we like presents more. Thank you. Just to bring it back down to a rule you can break. I think we can sort of over index for, you know, December 25th is the day that these things have to happen or like. But his birthday is April 4th. Like my nephew just turned one and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they're going to have his birthday party in June because they want to have it outside because of COVID and like it kind of maybe sucks in April. Like today it's raining. It was a good decision anyway. And who says you have to have your birthday party on your birthday? Who says you have to exchange presents on Christmas? Who says Olin Zero has to come on Christmas Eve? Olin Zero. I love that. <laughs> and I would say like, let's button it up by going back to your pacifier rule. I recently announced that there's no birthday parties that happen after you're 13 years old. Like oh. that that is a universally understood conceit that we do not have birthday parties after we are 13 years old. Unless we pay for them ourselves and organize them ourselves, maybe. Maybe, but like not my problem. Let's see. Yeah. But again, I just announced it randomly, like on a Tuesday and the kids were like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So you can also just introduce laws from the lady or the, what did you call it? The Oracle? Yes. Like I have been to the mountain and the Oracle has told me <laughs> that no pacifiers after three, no birthday parties after 13. Like, I'm sorry. This is just the world we were born into. We cannot change it. We cannot fight it. We can only rail against it. These are parenting rules we can create. That's it. Mm -hmm. 
Love it. We solved it. Solved it. So many parenting rules. These rules came from our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast. Come and join the conversation there. There are so many. 5,000 people in that group. 5,000 people chatting, talking, and being nice. So don't come if you're a feisty Facebook fighter. This is not the place for you. No. This is the place to be like, you're doing awesome, mom. Respect, hats off. And here's a tiny piece of maybe helpful advice. (laughs) That's what you're there in the Facebook group for. And you're also there to ask questions and give suggestions for topics. And you can hear them on an upcoming podcast. Super exciting. Right. We, We use them all the time. Make our job easy, people. Tell us what to talk about. That's what we like. And with that, we uh, can't wait to talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. So long. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.